Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. Welcome into the Wednesday, May the 8th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, the Dolphins balk at an available offensive tackle. We'll tell you why you should be encouraged by that news. Plus, is the offensive line as bad as we think? We'll explore that further. And Adam Gaze and the New York Jets come to town in early November. What we can expect from that game, as well as the trip to the Meadowlands this season. And we'll introduce a new segment to close things out. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on the new Himalaya podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, tuned in, Google Play. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review on the show as well. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at NFL. The show is at LockedOnFins. And check out LockedOnDolphins.com for all your daily Dolphins content on the website. And last but not least, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Let's go ahead and jump right in. First down on today's Locked On Dolphins podcast is brought to you by Blue Chew, the better, cheaper, faster choice. And today's first news item really revolves around our hated neighbors to the north as the New England Patriots will reportedly sign free agent left tackle or offensive tackle, I suppose, Jared Veld here to a one-year contract. And this has a lot of different parallels to the Miami Dolphins. And up first, just a reminder, I suspect we might see the Dolphins take a backseat approach to this portion of free agency once again, just as they did the first wave of free agency, as they kind of let the market play itself out and come back when the bargains are available, opposed to bidding with other teams and spending more money above their own means. And that's what this entire segment is going to be about. And we'll start with the obvious. I think Miami probably did have an eye on Jared Veld here, as they should with any available options on the offensive line this time of year, given the makeup of the Dolphins' current offensive line. But according to Barry Jackson of the Miami Herald, the Dolphins were in fact in on Jared Veld here, but walked away when they learned he wanted $6.5 million for a one-year deal. And that's just not in the budget for the Dolphins right now, and it goes against their offseason plan. And that, in and of itself should encourage you as a Finns fan. There was a time when this team didn't adhere to any preconceived limits or boundaries they set on themselves. If a player became available, Mike Tannenbaum would let the negotiations get out of hand, and that's how the Dolphins wound up overpaying so many, for lack of a better term, not good football players. They either overpaid them then, or they were used as leverage for players that did deserve those contracts who would use that leverage to go somewhere else and get a better contract. And right now... That's what Jared Veld here is. I mean, of course, the flip side is, is there any doubt that he goes up to New England and plays well for the Patriots? More on that here in just a minute. But the Dolphins set a price point and they weren't going to budge on it. These small accumulations, they add up. If they could have gotten the Eric Rowe deal, the Devontae Parker deal, or especially the Tank Carradine deal, which never would have happened, I'm sure they would have brought him in without pause. 
All three of those guys have major medical concerns, just as Veldheer does. He's missed 11 games the last three years, and Miami wasn't willing to spend premium dollars, and six and a half million bucks is no chump change in this league. If they were going to spend premium dollars on this guy, they weren't going to do it on a guy who could miss a quarter or even half, maybe even more of the season than that in the trainer's room. No thanks. The upside was signing Veld here. He plays adequately this season. Then he goes off and signs a nice free agent deal somewhere else next year and returns a compensatory pick back to you in the process. I'm sure they had that in mind, but again, the price took them out of the running for that deal. And that's what this team wants to be. They want to emulate the New England Patriot model. And I know copying the Patriots when you don't have Belichick and you don't have Tom Brady is really just wishful thinking, but not in this regard. This is just maximizing resources and giving yourself more bites at the apple. And that mindset, that procedure applies to more than just the draft. It works in free agency and trades and every single possible way you can accumulate players onto your roster. It's smart football. And New England already did this last year with Trent Brown. They swapped day three draft picks with the 49ers. Brown plays well, not great, but he played well last year. And then Oakland gives Brown the bag and New England will cash in a third round comp pick next year as a result. But for $6.5 million for a team in a rebuild, Veld here had way too many red flags because, oh yeah, newsflash, he really hasn't been all that great as a player when healthy anyway lately. So despite the fact that the offensive line is in some bad shape, I think that Miami, I like that Miami rather, is not willing to budge and lose sight of the bigger picture. That to me is downright encouraging. And you know what? This offensive line might be encouraging too. When I come back, I'm going to tell you why it's not so bad on the offensive line, at least as bad as some folks are making it out to be. We'll do that next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. But first, a word from Blue Chew. Guys, listen up. The truth is, you're probably not still in your peak prime like a 22-year-old Josh Rosen is. You're probably more close to Ryan Fitzpatrick, the grizzled veteran when it comes to the bedroom. But now, you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. BlueChew.com, that's blue like the color blue, BlueChew.com brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, after a big Dolphins win or a disappointing loss, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises, like a game-winning Dan Marino touchdown pass. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting at the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. It's basically like Tom Brady getting his PEDs delivered to his front door to his wife, Giselle. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships directly, they're cheaper than a pharmacy, and right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code LOCKEDON. That's promo code LOCKEDON. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code LOCKEDON to try it for free. Blue Chew is the better cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Normally, segment number two is reserved for my own content up on LockedOnDolphins.com, the number one webpage 
of the Locked On Podcast Network here as the Locked On Dolphins Podcast is part of the Locked On Podcast Network. But I don't have anything today as I am really honing in on that Josh Rosen project, which I promise will deliver big time for you guys looking to get a bigger, better, comprehensive, in-depth look at Josh Rosen's 2018 season with the Arizona Cardinals which I also think I'm probably going to have a few of those games posted sometime this weekend, thinking about a Sunday night rollout with three, four, maybe five games in that chunk. But our staff editor, Jason Harina, at Miami D-Punks on Twitter, he has a piece up on the site right now, and you'll recall his piece on the confidence meter for the offense last week. Well, he's done the same thing for the defense now, and as he always does, Jason paints an accurate and rather gloomy picture on that side of the ball, just as he did on offense. So check that out. It's not for the faint of heart, but of course, Jason usually is realistic about his expectations. So check out LockedOnDolphins.com. And we're also going to have a piece coming soon from Kevin Dern as he talks about the scheme fits of the individual parts on the defense. We'll also have him on for a podcast to discuss that column as he has a way of explaining and articulating things on the defensive side of the ball that really nobody else does. And I love having him on the show. I love having him write. So you guys will not want to miss that. And I wanted to get into some tweets from Kev earlier on Tuesday. But first, let's revert back and go back into the offensive line discussion from the previous segment because... Everyone kind of has this general notion in their mind that this Dolphins offensive line is going to be an absolute tire fire, an abject failure. And I look back last season, late in the year, when they went to Minnesota and just got pounded to a pulp, play in and play out. They had no answer for how to deal with the Vikings pass rush. Mike Zimmer even made a mention of how poorly prepared the Dolphins were to deal with their rush. And they didn't really change anything to account for the multiple rushers the Vikings were sending in the A-gaps off the edge, bringing six, sometimes seven rushers. And Ryan Tannehill was left, and part of that was his own doing as well. But he was left back there to just take a pounding. And I just finished my third game watch of, or I guess charting, of Josh Rosen's 2018 season. And it was in that same building where that Vikings defense can really tee off on a team when they get the crowd noise going and they get the team behind the chains on third and long. And that's exactly what they did to Josh Rosen. And it makes me think that a lot of the issues this team had on offense, especially on the offensive line, was about coaching, development, and planning for your opponent and giving yourself the best chance to deal with your weaknesses and to highlight your strengths. Something that Adam Gaze pretty much punted on the last month of the season after that Miami miracle when everything went completely south on this Dolphins team for the second straight year, no less, going 0-3 with some beatdowns, some blowout losses in that stretch of games. So that obviously is the first step, more improved coaching and a better plan for these guys to succeed. But then there's the personnel and I understand completely that it's kind of wanting. Let's, let's be real about it. It's very wanting. There is a lot of question marks on this offensive line. We start on the left side with Laramie Tunzel. For my money, he's going to be the best left tackle in the league, if not by this year, soon enough before his first contract ends. And that's why he's going to get the highest paid deal for an offensive lineman in NFL history when he comes up. And he's locked in. He's written down in pen. He is the Dolphins Pro Bowl level, all pro talent at that spot. And the entire protection scheme will be developed around that as they slide protection to the right and lead Tunzel on an island, which he can handle. And he's proven that he can handle that against some of the best pass rushers in the NFL. We go to the inside at left guard. Look, after Josh Sitton got hurt last year, 
Was that spot any better than what it is right now with Michael Dieter, who, for my money, is better coached than any of the guys they had last year, knows the fundamentals, and he's way more durable than anybody else they had at that spot. So he alone, in his continuity and fundamentals and mechanics and football processing aptitude, can be an improvement at that spot in his own right. Not over Josh Sitton, who played well in that one game, but over whoever replaced Josh Sitton. Multiple guys did it throughout the course of the season. We go to center. Daniel Kilgore for three and a quarter game. He wasn't any good in those games. Who was his backup? Wesley Johnson played okay at times, but he wasn't great. Definitely not worthy of bringing back on a cheap veteran contract. And so now Kilgore comes back and that's the spot to me that really is a question mark. I even predicted on this on the podcast or on the website earlier this week that free agent, undrafted free agent Kirk Barron out of Purdue could take Daniel Kilgore's job, and maybe someone else could as well. Shaq Calhoun from Mississippi State, if he wants to kick inside, I suppose he could get a chance at doing that as well. But that's the position that I'm really concerned about because we go out to the right side, and you look at this this line holistically, and you say that right side is pretty battered or not very good. And sure, Chris Reed from the Jacksonville Jaguars was a career backup, but they also had a loaded guard position in Jacksonville. They just paid big money to AJ Can, their right guard who's been there for several years, and they brought in Andrew Norwell, the left guard, the big price free agent from the Carolina Panthers, so he wasn't going to play over Norwell. And Chris Reed comes to Miami with a chance to earn a starting job. And if you recall my free agent breakdown earlier back in whatever it was, March, on Chris Reed and how well I thought he played at times, in the same vein as Michael Dieter with the smartness, enough athleticism, and durability to play that spot. Jesse Davis last year at right guard wasn't very good. I think Chris Reed's going to be an upgrade on Jesse Davis at that spot. I just really think that Jesse Davis is a better tackle than he is a guard, and that brings us out to Jesse Davis at right tackle, and the Dolphins did balk on Jared Veld here. There's Jeremy Parnell out there, Ryan Schrader. They could choose to go in that direction, but I still think Davis has an opportunity to beat out either of those guys if they are signed to play right tackle for the Dolphins because Davis, for my money, in 2017, his best position was the right tackle spot when he filled in admirably for Juwan James, who got hurt that year. And I think that he's built more like a tackle. He's longer. He's pretty good into his pass sets. He has a good weight transfer and good balance and a pretty good strike. He does get in trouble on the inside with brute bull rushers like a Geno Atkins, for instance. But he handled himself at right tackle. And I think you have a chance to find a starter in Jesse Davis long-term at right tackle. It's better than the options that are out there either late in the draft or now on the scrap heap of free agents, in my opinion. And that's why I think this line could be a lot better than what we saw last year. Don't just focus on the names. It's about the continuity, about five guys playing together, developing chemistry, and the fact that maybe with all the injuries the Dolphins had, and maybe they're just more talented than what Miami had last year. And granted, injuries could derail this entire thing because if you lose one or even two of these guys, it could be a disaster for depth purposes because the depth right now is a bunch of guys that just haven't developed, whether it's Isaac Asiata, Zach Stirrup, and then we're going to go after Isaiah Prince this time around. If there are some injuries that happen, yeah, depth is a huge concern. But if Miami happens to get lucky and has good health on the offensive line, I think it's going to be a better group this year than it was last year. Hell, it's hard to get a lot worse. Okay, so enough of my 
optimistic propaganda on the Dolphins' offensive line. Let's shift gears and go back to the, the topic. We started this segment off talking about the defense, and this tweet came through from TJ Brackeen on Twitter. He's one of my longtime followers, very loyal listener of the podcast, fan of the site, and fan of the timeline of mine at Wingfield NFL on Twitter. But he asked a question to several of the Dolphins' mainstays on Twitter. He threw Kevin Dern in the mix, which I appreciate you doing that, TJ, because Kevin is the right guy to ask this question. But TJ asks, what would you think the offense and defense would look like for the Dolphins if they don't copy the Patriots' design outside of the multiple looks and schemes and so on? What if they have a different plan altogether? And my response to TJ was, if that's the case on defense, we might go more towards a Green Bay model from last year with Patrick Graham, who was the running game coordinator and linebackers coach in Green Bay. That's an option. But I still do believe that this team is going to mold their own process and mold their own scheme around those experiences that guys have from different areas. And I'm very certain that Brian Flores' influence will be noticeable on this defense. But I think it's a great question to ask because... The truth of the matter is we really don't know for sure what it's going to look like until we have game tape from the regular season. But of course, Kevin chimed in and gave his response as only he could do. And it was great. He said, based on what some coaches and players have said in interviews, I think they'll try to replicate what Flores was running in New England. Due to personnel issues, they might run more sub fronts with bare looks like Green Bay did than the Pats until they get more pieces. The Patriots were 4-2-5 heavy. And then he continues on to a second tweet. Again, Kevin is at KevinMD4 on Twitter. He says, and they mix their looks so that 425 and 335 slash 326 fronts were relatively interchangeable. I know that's a mouthful. I think the Dolphins will have more players in niche roles than the Patriots did to facilitate the defense because shortcomings in certain spots. Long story short, expect a heavy sub package defense and a lot of players earning snaps, which will fluctuate on a weekly basis depending on the opponent. I can't say it any better than that. The same will be true for the offense as well. Again, Kevin is a defensive whiz. He'll have that piece up on LockedOnDolphins.com sometime this week, maybe over the weekend. We'll all look forward to that. And we're going to come back and button this thing up on the other side. I'll introduce a new segment and talk Adam Gase. All that next. Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. opinion it's a great time for television this time of year because of two shows and I'm not even factoring Game of Thrones into this mix because well I've never seen an episode of Game of Thrones and I know I know I'll get to it eventually I just haven't committed full time to go back and put what is it 70 80 hours worth of content in front of me it's a tall ask I understand it's a great show it's also not really my type of genre in general but I am going to give it a shot but all things said, all things considered, that is, Barry, Brockmire, two of the best shows on TV, in my opinion. And so I have that on Sundays and Wednesdays. I usually watch Tosh.0 and, and Practical Jokers as well, and both of those are going on right now. So the DVR is typically loaded each night with good shows to watch, except for on Mondays. And so that's when I kind of get into some old tape and go back and watch previous games. And last night, I was watching the Dolphins and Patriots game. Yep, the miracle game, once again, still has not gotten old. But you'll recall that Adam Gaze gave the ball to Brandon Bolden several times in that game and the first time of the year, and he paid it off with two touchdown runs, one of those from 54 yards out. And it got me thinking, 
We've been told about Adam Gaze's ability to hold a grudge like nobody else from Jeff Darlington on this very podcast. And he kind of proved that in 2017, the game against the Denver Broncos, when he called for an onside kick, a successful onside kick, in something like a four-touchdown blowout at that time. And just like Rex Ryan used to do with our former Dolphins when he returned to South Florida, you know damn well Gaze is going to try to find ways to rub it in the Dolphins' face, and that's why those Jets games, to me, are going to have a lot of juice, and I have them both circled on my calendar. Plus, I anticipate being there for the Jets game in Miami on November the 3rd, so it's really the one I'm looking forward to most this season. Yesterday, I did the Rock Pile Report podcast, a Buffalo Bills podcast with Chris Kruger, who does the intro to this show, Andrew Gear, two good guys, two Buffalo fans, and but despite that, they are good fellas. And we previewed the AFC East this year, and I'm just not sold on the Jets being a vastly improved team. I do think the roster is a lot better, but we've seen the Adam Gaze effect on this team and already on the Jets, bringing in all of his buddies to coach. And the Luke Falk move was just... It was just funny to see that he went right after the former player, just like he did last year at the quarterback position with Brock Osweiler. I could legitimately see him finding a way, Adam Gase that is, finding a way to get Luke Falk onto the field in that game. Maybe not, but it wouldn't surprise me. And with that, I want to introduce a new segment into the show here. And we'll be doing more stuff like this during the dead periods of the NFL calendar, but I want to introduce you to Way Back Wednesday, and maybe that name is a bit ironic because we're only going all the way back to 2010 for this week's edition of Way Back Wednesday, but let's go ahead and do Way Back Wednesday. You gotta have Jim Mandich anytime you do a throwback to an exciting Dolphins victory of the past. We're going back to 2010. The Dolphins are off to a slow 1-3 start. They were 0-3 before a beatdown of the Buffalo Bills the week prior in Miami. But then they enter a Monday night football game against who? Those hated New York Jets pre-Adam Gaze New York Jets, but it was the Rex Ryan Jets who, for my money, fueled that rivalry and made me really reignite my hatred for the New York Jets. I'll never forget this game. I had money on the Dolphins covering back when Bodog was a thing that we could do out here in Washington State. They were home underdogs, as well as money on Ronnie Brown as the first touchdown scorer of the game, and I think the odds were 6-1 to one on that and both popped. The Dolphins pulled off a win and got the season headed back in the right direction. What a glorious night that was. The highlights I remember from that game was Ricky Williams had a huge play on a screen pass working back across the field. I think it was something like a 60-yard gain, and I'll never ever get crazier than I did for big Ricky Williams plays. And then, of course, there was Ted Ginn destroying Darrell Revis on that nine route for the big-time touchdown, and the old Michigan to Ohio State from Chad Henney to Ted Ginn references all came pouring in, but it was awesome to see our first-round pick, second-year, or was it fourth-year pro at that point, Ted Ginn destroying the best cover corner in the NFL, possibly the best of this century. It was a tightly contested game all the way throughout, back and forth, kept looking like the Dolphins were going to fail to get the game-winning score, and that Jets defense was so clamped down against a rather pedestrian Dolphins offense that you just never expected Miami to find a game-winning drive in the fourth quarter. 
but then they did, driving the ball down the field, and then they gave it to Ronnie Brown and the Wildcat, who busted through for the game-winning touchdown. Then he did that little dolphin hop celebration he did that was so much fun to watch. I was fist-bumping and losing my mind throughout that game. My buddy was over at the house. It was a celebration all night long. What a night that was. So we'll do this on Wednesdays when there's not much going on throughout the course of the summer. But as for today's show, that is going to be my time. And a reminder that if you have a smart speaker in your car or otherwise, you can pull up the podcast right away. Just say play Locked On Dolphins podcast for your daily dose. Also, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on the new Himalaya podcast app. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, the mini camp preview edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.